Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we enter into this season of Lent, and we contemplate the reason why you sent your Son, why he had to die, Lord, we would ask that you give us the patience and the peace to trust in the hope that you pour out, the confidence in knowing that you hear our cries of longing and lament. Lord, we would ask this day that you break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. Within the season of Lent, within the realm of Christendom, there is a broad spectrum of how it is actually practiced. There is an understanding that Easter is a big deal regardless of which denomination or gathering place you belong to when you call yourself Christian. But there is a great distinction about what happens between Christmas and Easter. So much so that even within our own tradition, Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry actually in some cases is condensed into Passion Sunday so that the events of Holy Week kind of get smashed into one Sunday. But the reason that we do this is more important than the action itself. We don't like feeling uncomfortably confronted with our sins. We don't like having the mirror held up to show us how broken we really are, and we certainly do not like imagining the ownership we have and each scar that is placed upon Jesus' back or in his hands or his feet. We like the clean-cut Jesus. We don't like the one that is gruesomely beaten and battered as an innocent man. And so throughout the season of Lent, we tend to kind of touch on it a little bit and gloss over it as a whole. But the picture that Scripture paints is one very, very different than what we experience. In the book of Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah writes, lamenting, crying out on behalf of the people of Israel as they grieve over being cast into exile, over the loss of their holy city, as though they are standing beside the coroner in the morgue looking over her dead body. 
a horrific scene. One that we would choose to ignore or turn away from, especially so when we recognize our culpability in her death. That we had a hand in poisoning her. That the toxicity of our lives and unfaithfulness and relationships our self-servitude, all of those things that contribute to the death of Jerusalem. And as Jeremiah begins, he does so in general terms. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. And there is this communal expression that he voices on behalf of the people as a whole. This is terrible. We've been cast out of our city. The daughters of Jerusalem have been sold off into slavery and cast into exile. They now have masters of foreign nations. Our city has been left desolate. And Zion mourns. Once we had a home, but we do no longer. Now we live where we're told to. Now we live where we have no place to call our own, no place that belongs to us, no place that bears the heritage and promise that we have been given from God. We are now the foreigners and sojourners that we neglected at our gates or welcomed in with their false gods and foreign idols and idolatrous worship. We are now those people. Each week, when I go back to take the recording for the sermon and put it up on the podcast, it is an excruciating experience for me. I loathe it. I do not look forward to listening to the sound of my own voice. I pick apart all the things that I should have said differently and how I could have said it in another way that maybe I sounded a little bit too much like the screaming preacher here, and maybe I could have been a little bit more assertive over there. And if I don't like having the mirror held up there, then outside of Christ, what would I do if I stood before God and he held that mirror up that revealed every sin every aspect of the brokenness that I bear that would otherwise separate me from him. If I can't stand this, then how would I bear that? Her foes have become the head and her enemies prosper. 
because the Lord has afflicted her with a multitude of her transgressions. Each Sunday we confess our sins. And there's the awkward silence. That momentary pause for reflection upon God's word and our need for his forgiveness. And my son asked me, he said, Dad, how, how do you know how long you should pause for? Well, just until you can see that it makes people uncomfortable. We don't like the silence. And in between the time where we have the Old Testament text ending and Jesus being born, there is silence. The people of God fall back on the practices that they had been given. And they go through the motions and they do the things that they have been told to do. But in doing so, they do them for the sake of doing them. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they become so defensive in owning the practice itself. It was more important to look faithful than to actually be faithful. So much so that when the Messiah stands before them in their midst, they fail to even recognize who he is. So that then by the time they finally begin to get a glimpse of this as a whole people. They usher him in to the holy city that we see them grieving in lamentations. And he rides in upon a donkey and they shout, Hosannas, save us! To only days later cry out, crucify him instead. There's blood on our hands. We say, I wasn't there. It wasn't my voice that spoke out against him. It wasn't me standing in the crowd stirring up the mob. I don't have blood on my hands. I tried to maybe wash it like Pontius Pilate attempted to do. But at least I can claim the distance of time and space and claim plausible deniability. And yet Paul speaks very plainly in Romans. And he talks about the way that because sin and death entered into the world through one man, Adam, that because one man sinned, all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is blood upon our hands. Lamentations is a bitter 
lament. And as we engage with the idea of what that means and how it confronts us with our need for a Savior and our need for his forgiveness, it also turns us outward to be able to be exposed to the opportunities in which we are now called to reconcile with those relationships around us. To have ownership and culpability in the brokenness of the world that we have helped create. That we have been called to be stewards of. It's easy to sit back and mourn and grieve over the state of the church in America to grieve over the broken political system that we engage in, to grieve over this, that, or the other, and yet it's easier to do that than to go, you know what? I had a hand in creating that. Maybe in a small way, maybe in a big way, but we are still responsible. And where does our hope lie? See, this picture that Lamentations paints for us is one of near hopeless despair, one that places us into complete and utter dependence upon God for his grace, mercy, and forgiveness that places us in a position to receive that which he pours out because we have nothing left to give. So that when we come forward and we receive these gifts around his table, they are there as his means of grace to build up our body and to bind us closer to him. recognize that in our longings and laments that God hears our cries and answers them not with silence but with his son so that God always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.